Hey guys, it's Nick. Uh, we are a few days late in posting this. Honestly, we've been celebrating. And so we recorded this just a few days before Biden won. And so forgive us for rehashing old information. But our interview with Amanda Chantal Bacon is piping hot. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Annie. Hi. Greetings from purgatory. Limbo. (laughs) We record this on Thursday, November 5th. We do not yet know who will be the president of the United States. Exactly. And I haven't been sleeping well. Let's check. I'm going to see if there's any updates on New York Times. We're waiting on Nevada, right? Nope. We're still waiting on Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Alaska. We know where they're going. And North Carolina. Well, you know, we're not going to get president watch, so we might as well do baby watch. Yes. Today is 23 weeks. And? And she's the size of a grapefruit. Aww. Which also, like, there can be big and small grapefruits. She's also the size of a Barbie, which I reject. That's already setting herself up for... Exactly. She's also the size of a Bouche de Noel, which is... A rolled up sponge cake in the shape of a Christmas Yule log. I don't like this. Uh, I don't like this. That's quite large. That's large. Oh, is that just a slice of the Yule log? No, no, no. The entire Yule log. That makes no. And she's also the size of a bunch of grapes. Report that. (laughs) Who am I going to report it to? (laughs) I don't know. Is there no like report feature? I'm offended by this. She's also the size of a bunch of grapes. And I don't know if you saw on my Instagram, but our surrogate went to get her, she got like a fetal echocardiogram, which is like a close-up ultrasound of the heart, Mm -hmm. which they do in any IVF pregnancies because IVF has like a slightly higher incidence of heart issues. Okay. The ultrasound tech caught our baby yawning on ultrasound. So you can actually see like her mouth open and close like in a yawn. She looks like a little like alien, but you can actually see a little yawn. Is it really, is it yawning? Is that yeah. really what she's doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was reading about like her development and right now she's practicing breathing by breathing in and out amniotic fluid. I don't know how that works, but she's yeah. already over your shit. She's like, <laughs> she's like, what next? I'm ready. So that's very exciting. And speaking of baby watch, my husband and I went to the local baby store last weekend to go test drive strollers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know much about the competitive world of baby strollers. Uh, nope, can't say I do. So baby strollers are much like cars in that like you kind of get what you pay for. And so like the cheaper the stroller, like the more rickety it is to push, <laughs> the more expensive the stroller, the smoother the ride you get. And like it's mm-hmm. funny, like these companies talk about like all wheel drive suspension. <laughs> it's a real thing. So we test drove all of them. And of course, like everyone we know has an opinion about which is the best one. We tested and they have all funny names too, like the Nuna Mix, the Uppa Baby, Vista, the Bugaboo something, and then one by Cybex or Cyborg or something. And the best one was actually, it's kind of like the one that everyone in Brentwood has, but it's fucking amazing. It's called the Uppa Baby Vista. And it 
<laughs> is that just like all the brands combined into one? <laughs> <laughs> no, it has a bassinet and the bassinet comes off and then the, there it like you want to also get a coordinating car seat because the car seat will then also click into the stroller. The bassinet clicks into the stroller, the seat clicks into the stroller, and if you have a second baby, a second baby seat can click onto this stroller. So it's literally So these are like zip away cargo pants of yes. babies. Yeah, they're like transformers and it folds up and it's like the chicest looking one. It has like a leather handlebar and Mm -hmm. there's like a cup holder. Gotta have a cup holder. Well, I'm for my morning trips to Alfred. It's like kind of necessary. You know what's funny? What? I slept in a laundry basket when I was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Did you really? I don't know if my parents. By choice? I was an infant. You don't choose anything. (laughs) I don't know if my parents were kidding around. I mean, they were not destitute. They were like a young couple, you know. But, well, it's funny because like in terms of like... I think they were doing fine. I don't know why I ever slept in... (laughs) Maybe it was just a joke because there was a photo of me in one. But I'm, I'm positive in my memory bank that my mom told me that I slept in a laundry basket. Well, what's interesting about that is that we're also looking at bassinets because for the first couple months, the baby can't really sleep in their own room, which I did not know. They have to sleep in your room. And you do that with a bassinet. And some of the bassinets are made out of basically all mesh because everyone's worried about killing the baby for the first few months, right? Okay. And the only way that like we know definitely kills the baby is SIDS. And so everything is done to prevent any sort of suffocation. So all the mattresses have tons of holes in them, like to make them completely breathable. All the bassinets are like covered in mesh so that like no matter what way they turn, they're basically in like a, you know, when you go, what's that thing in the circus they do where you like swing? Trapeze? Yeah. Like the the trapeze net. It's like basically like they're just like sleeping (laughs) in a net. Oh, that doesn't sound safe either. So that like if they roll over, they can breathe. If they roll under, they can breathe. And so like I would think uh, actually a laundry basket with all the holes on like all the venting on the sides would actually be like pretty good, a pretty good sort of makeshift bassinet. Yeah, I mean, there you go. There's also this thing called a docatot, which is like a little life raft that you put the baby on and you can like move them, put them on a table while you like do work or you can put them on the couch while you watch TV in this little like cozy life raft. And there's just lots of things. Isn't it crazy to think like humans have been around since (laughs) (laughs) without docatots? Without all this. And we've managed to survive too well, I think. <laughs> I think your baby will be fine. I think she's in very good hands, it sounds That's like. That's true. Very good mesh. Yeah, she'll be like literally sleeping on like an orb so that if she falls off, she'll cry and we'll be able to hear her so that she can't suffocate. That's great. That's great. You had a big week, <laughs> Miss Pole Worker. Yeah. That was yeah. condescending. Let me try that again. You had a big week. Thank you for your service. Don't thank me. You get paid to do this. Here's the thing about volunteer work for me that I think not enough people are honest about. I do it for myself. I don't (laughs) do it for the other people. I do it to make me feel like I have some sort of control and I'm doing something good because otherwise I feel like a leech. It's good for your anxiety, like your electromulated anxiety. 
Yeah. Well, and COVID, yeah. I feel like I have to do these things so I don't feel like a leech on society. I don't I think that volunteer work is the kind of thing where at least if you're doing it, that's what matters. It doesn't matter that you like woke up and you really didn't want to do it or that you were like annoyed at it. Like it's actually the act of doing it, which is what's important. Woke up at four AM. My hours were four thirty to we stayed until ten thirty tallying the results. From four thirty AM until ten thirty A.M. or no, P.M.? at night. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was such a fun day. Of- and did you help some, like, old ladies, like, get to the front of the line and stuff? No. So I was assigned to – I was an inspector. So, you know, you're assigned to, like, a certain place to vote, both the location and then, like, the table where you vote. I don't know how it's set up, like, yeah. in other states. It's sometimes but- it's, like, alphabetical, but yeah. Yeah. This is, like, by where you live. Or by street whatever. address or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. You know, it's such a confusing process. I really do think there needs to be, like, major reform in, like, how we go about democracy here. It's confusing on both sides for the poll workers and for the voters. There was a lot of confusion on filling out the ballots for like all sorts of people coming through. Very smart people were having to ask for more ballots because they messed up. And of course, we would void them out. (laughs) I want all of this on the record in case this ever comes up to bite me in the ass. We voided (laughs) these ballots that they screwed up on because it is confusing. A lot of people, especially if it's their first time voting or they haven't done it in a while. We do this every four years, too, by the way. It's like not like we get a ton of practice. A lot of people filled in voted for their candidate twice because they're listed twice. So, for instance, you can vote for Donald Trump in the Republican Party or you can vote for him in the Conservative Party. Oh, interesting. And so people were bubbling in their candidate twice. They probably wanted to be extra sure. Anyway, it it was interesting. A lot of people early voted. We thought there would be like lines out the door at the end of the day, but nope. That's interesting. On the California ballot, Kanye was on it. I can't. He was the vice presidential candidate for some reason. And I Googled why. And I guess there's just like some like random reason why like he would he showed up as the vice presidential candidate. I don't think that you should be able to allow. But like didn't didn't like 70,000 people vote for him or 40,000. People shouldn't be allowed to run for president as a publicity stunt. Weren't they saying that that's why Trump ran to begin with? Because he just wanted publicity to launch Trump news and then he accidentally won. Yeah, I mean, I hope that by the time this episode airs that we have some clarity and closure. Yeah, I hope things get better. But Nick, I think our role in this right now is to give people the beauty news. I agree. People can check the election news on other channels. We could all use a distraction and we're here to provide that. Let's get into our top stories. Postmates is entering the beauty game. So they're like entering the beauty delivery on-demand game. We knew Instacart was doing a Sephora collab, right? Wasn't that the last one? Yep. There's so many of these to keep track of. And now Postmates has launched Shop, which is a designated shopping section on its app, which is currently only available in LA. So I'm going to pull it up right now and tell you what you can do on it. I know what you can do already. Tell us while I look it up. The brands on there so far are Anastasia Beverly Hills. I see it. Le Labo. Do you see it? I see it. Hourglass. Hmm. Okay. I don't see it. Oh, yeah. I see it. And what else? What What else are you seeing, Nick? I'm seeing Parachute Home. You can get linens. I'm <gasps> seeing... You know what? I did buy linens from Parachute Home recently, and they're good. Really? Yes. I bought a pillow and sheets and a robe. This isn't even my product of the week. Codaly, Buck Mason. 
they didn't send it to me for free. This is not sponsored. They're good. I got their sateen. And it's really good? I prefer a sateen sheets. Sateen sheets to me are... What, Nick? What are they? <sighs> I don't want to say Anna Nicole Smith, but... Nick, do you know what sateen sheets are? Yeah, they're shiny. You're thinking of like sateen pajamas that you get at like Target. Yeah, this is not that? They have like a slight sheen to them. I don't know. Okay. I mean, that sounds shiny to me anyway. So Postmates actually saw a 284% increase year over year in orders for beauty-related products. So obviously, like, there's the demand on the app, and now they're fulfilling it with, like, all these brands signing up. This, to me, seems like the most natural on-demand union. Like, the way to shop beauty on-demand is to do it on Postmates, where you're already shopping, versus, like, I feel like, and also brand-wise, like, I feel like Postmates is a more luxury experience than like an Instacart. So I I understand it. I get it. I think it could work. It is working. In other news, Ipsy has acquired BoxyCharm. What is Ipsy? What is BoxyCharm? Ipsy is a huge beauty company already. Both of them doing well. In fact, their new parent company that they've made, Beauty for All Industries, they expect more than $100 billion in sales for 2020. So Ipsy was founded by Michelle Pham, who we talked about last week. She was like very innovative with starting to market her cosmetics line, M Cosmetics, on what is it? Twitch. Yep. Twitch, an app that we, <laughs> another thing we don't know much about. Don't worry, we'll comment on it anyway and give you our opinion. Yeah, this is great. I love it. I love to see competitors acquire each other and be friends. So Ipsy was basically like a you would get a box of full-size beauty products once a month, I think. But then they started conferences where different brands would have booths and they also started creating content. You could also, I think, as a creator, be represented by Ipsy at a certain point. So they were like expanding in all sort of different ways. And so BoxyCharm is similar to Ipsy in that you're getting a monthly subscription to full-size beauty products. But I think, as you said, Andy, it's interesting that these two powers are combining and insane that their combined revenue would be close to $1 billion. Take that and put it in your oyster pot-smoking device. Yes, yes. We can talk about that at the end of the show. Okay. This is kind of like an interesting little note. Hiram, the skincare vlogger who took over TikTok skincare, basically, continues on his rise to the top. He just signed with the Hollywood talent agency, UTA. And it's funny, like I've been working with Hiram since I was at Necessaire and we would email him directly and then he had a manager and then he had two managers and now he's got UTA. So like it's fun. It's cool to see someone who seems to be like a really good person and have a lot of authenticity and uh, like a, a kind of came from from nowhere. He started on TikTok, right? Like if people don't know. No, he started on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah, but he just like ended up using TikTok in a really smart way. Got it. Yeah, it says that in the article that he went from 100,000 followers on TikTok at the beginning of the year to now like close to 6 million. Yeah. Which is insane. He's like the one that we have to thank for like the resurgence of Sarah V. He's been like very into like these basic skincare products. I'm telling you, that started on Reddit. That is not all this is I'm everybody I'm going to sound like a broken record here. It needs to just like if you work at a beauty company, if you're in the beauty industry, get on Reddit. Everything happens there first, and then hiring gets all the credit, and look, now he's with UTA. There you go. Also with UTA is Shayla Mitchell, who goes by Makeup Shayla. She is a longtime YouTuber. 
She has 3.4 million followers across Instagram and YouTube, and now she's with UTA too. So UTA is cleaning up. UTA also bought like five years ago, I want to say, Digital Brand Architects, which was sort of the premier agency for influencers. So they're obviously like bolstering and continue to sort of like have a stronghold in that space. Mm, You're a move, WME. Yeah. Checkmate. And other influencer news, James Charles, everybody. No, you forgot the best one. What? A cyborg just signed with CAA. Lil Michaela? Yeah. Lil Michaela, who is a piece of a figment of animation, is now represented, or was, I guess, in May. I don't know that that's news. By CAA. I don't understand the hype around her because can't everybody do deep fake now and put... I mean, she's a total bitch if I'm telling you, if I'm telling it honestly. Oh, yeah. Did you work with her when you were at Necessaire? (laughs) Yeah, when I was at Necessaire. Yeah, she is demanding. Her writer is insane. Um, No. She was created by this company called Brood, B-R-U-D. And I don't know. I think it's brands trying to think that they're on the cutting edge or something. And then... But she's been in like every big... Fashion campaign. Yeah. Calvin Klein. Didn't she kiss Bella Hadid in like a Calvin Klein camp? But basically, I think what they do is they get a girl. Actually, I know I know this because I know the people that <laughs> know the people that do this. It's a girl that runs around and takes the photos and then they just basically filter this little Michaela face on her. Oh, interesting. So it's like anybody. <laughs> it's just funny that like people act like this is like the most innovative thing to ever happen. I, they were the first to do it, so they should get the credit. Yeah. But anybody with an Instagram can basically be <laughs> little Michaela now. I have a friend who works in like celebrity PR, like VIP placements of products on celebrities. So like a brand will pay him a retainer to place like a bag or shoes on celebrities that who are then photographed in it. And one time he like got a call like a request from Lil Michaela and he was like how does a computer wear earrings like I don't understand how this is gonna work but then he found out it was a real person I have a question about that yeah what does a celebrity think about being in the equation but not in control like for instance Beyonce's makeup artist used a product on her for a major event and then it was used in the marketing of that product later on of course the brand did not pay Beyonce. They paid her makeup artist. Right. So I've always kind of wondered, I know this is such like a gray, weird world that we're yeah. in in this like influencer marketing and product placement. But I would imagine that Beyonce was aware of the collaboration if he or she is a close confidant and like long-term you know, artist for her. Like, I doubt he would jeopardize his relationship with his client by like getting a few thousand dollars from a beauty brand. But I think at this point, it is also expected that hair and makeup people have their own deals with like Tresemme or Moroccan oil and things like that. So I think the celebrities... It's always Tresemme and Moroccan oil, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's always Tresemme and Moroccan oil. But I think the celebrities are aware that like, this is kind of how it works. Because you also have to think that they're close with these makeup and hair people and they probably want to see them get these lucrative behind the scenes deals too. Oh, so you're saying that not everybody is just like a greedy, greedy, all for me, none for you type. No, I mean, I also it's also interesting to see like which celebrities allow for behind the scenes access and which don't, you know? Do you ever think about if you were a celebrity, what you would be like? Well, they say that like as a celebrity, you sort of are permanently the age at which you became famous. Like you kind of never mature beyond it because people will always treat you like that 
the, the switch happens at a certain point in your development and then you kind of stop developing or this maturing. This explains a lot. Mm. Is that for anybody that becomes successful and famous? Well, I, I, I don't remember whose like theory this is, but I kind of think it's true. So like that's why a lot of child stars are super childlike and can't, you know, because they've just always been treated like they were 13 and you kind of like they stopped developing at around like 13 versus like if someone who's much older becomes very famous, you oftentimes see like they seem a lot more rational and cool. Like you don't see like Naomi Watts going around like flipping tables. And like Mark Maron's always been... Sixty years old. Yeah, I think I think the like the later you can become famous, the more like normal of a life you can have, and like the more normally people treat you. And so I think you're probably like less likely to be totally. Got it. Okay, so why don't we get back to the next story? (laughs) Guess who is on the cover of Vogue? I don't have to guess because it's right here in our shared notes that we read (laughs) from every week. James Charles, everybody's favorite. Well, YouTube is a scary place for beauty influencers, but he's a lot of people's favorite YouTube and makeup guru. And would you say he's the first, I think, on a major magazine cover? On a major Vogue cover, yeah. It's called The Beauty of Imperfection is the theme of the magazine. Wouldn't you be pissed if like your first Vogue cover was like... <laughs> the beauty of normal. <laughs> but he was super psyched about it. He like tweeted and Instagrammed about it. And I love the cover, actually. It's a pretty chic photo. You can see all of his freckles. He's pretty undone. Say what you will about him, but he has kind of changed the beauty industry in that he can make or break brands. He can sell out brands. He was the first, like... I think he was the first cover boy for Cover Girl, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, interesting. And he's also overcome his fair share of controversies, the least of which was that weird Jeffree Star Tati Westbrook takedown attempt where they said that he had done horrible things, but then it was revealed that he hadn't. Yeah, there was a lot of backtracking there. On that topic, Tati Westbrook, another YouTube famous makeup guru. It sounds like her, between her, Jeffree Star, and James Charles, there was a ton of legal drama over the summer, but she is in more legal issues. This week, it was announced that her former business partner is suing Tati and her husband, James Westbrook, for alleged fraudulence in relation to her beauty line. Why can't people just get along and stick to the contract? I think there's a lot of money at stake with these companies and these contracts. I mean, I know Jeffree Star makes gazillions of dollars like on his makeup line. So even if it's not something that like the mainstream makeup community necessarily supports, like there are pe- like people's fans go crazy. So I think I would imagine that they're they're not fighting over scraps. I bet they're fighting over significant chunks of money. I can't imagine going into business with someone and like not divvying up from the beginning, like what's going to happen later on. Sometimes businesses just sort of happen casually and you don't really have time to like or don't really have the forethought to develop boundaries and all that sort of stuff. And then it can bite you in the ass. That's why we've chosen not to monetize our podcast because we don't want any (laughs) drama to come between our friendship. We don't want money to come between us. We don't want money, period. We don't. No. no. (laughs) By the way, is your lawyer going to draft up that paperwork? Yes. Okay. Um, She is almost done with it. Mm -hmm. I just have to file for an EIN. And then we're an official company. Uh, and well, hold on. <laughs> she can send it to my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, um, we'll send it to your lawyer. And then if you approve, then we'll be an official company. I love that. We have a company, Nick. Yay. What did we call it again? Eyewitness Beauty LLC. <sighs> we didn't come up with a fun name. 
No, we should have. Um, moving on. Did we talk about, about our hot take last week that we think the Kardashians are on their way out? Yes. Good. Yeah, here we are talking about them again. <laughs> they continue their flamboyant exit from the spotlight with a birthday party with no masks celebrating Kendall Jenner. I feel like you have a lot to say about this. I just think it's so upsetting. It's like, we get it. You have the money to get everybody tested. And I'm assuming they're all getting tested frequently because they are part of the 1% that has access to this kind of thing. But I just, you know, I don't think that they're stupid and they're surrounded by people that get it. And and when you know you have so much influence over people, why are you posting about it? How empty are you where you have to put all of this online and you can't just enjoy yourself in the privacy of your own world that you've created, your own buffer yeah. zone? But like the thing about the Kardashians is like their world is the public sphere. I don't think there exists a behind the scenes like that is the that is the that's the gig. That's so upsetting. It really is. I'm um, also really over people on Instagram posting pictures of a party and then the caption being like, everyone was tested, everyone quarantined, everyone no, tested negative they two didn't. times. No, it's didn't. like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not how it works. We all know that from the president of the United States, that just because you're doing regular testing doesn't mean that you can like all take your masks off and start making out. Yeah. And and again, it's the influence. Sure. Even if all of that was true and you, they were safe, which again, it's not. They are encouraging their like followers that don't have access to all these things to behave in the same way and normalizing this kind of fuck it attitude. Yeah. And I like find myself keeping on saying, and this is something I say to myself as well as to other people, just because we're over COVID doesn't mean that COVID is over us. So that is top stories for this week, two days old, but I don't think we've missed anything except for the fact that James Charles, it turns out, was wearing the products from his own debut makeup collection on that Vogue Portugal cover. So um, that's the only wrinkle that I think has developed since we recorded that two days ago. Uh, now we have an interview with our friend, Amanda Chantal Bacon. She's the founder of Moon Juice, which is a smoothie bar, but now also has food you can eat and powders that make you horny and a skincare line sold at every single Sephora. So we talked to her about her evolution and where she is right now and what she sees. And this was what we were most interested in finding out, what she sees as the future of like the wellness industry. The first time I met you, you had, I think, just your shop in Venice. Mm -hmm. You were maybe about to open up your second location in Silver Lake, or was that your third? No, no, that was my second. So I think I met you when you just had Moon Juice, which was a you know smoothie and juice shop in Venice, like on Rose Avenue. Super chic and super cute, but like one store. Now you have a full skincare brand in Sephora which is, you know, the biggest multi specialty multi beauty retailer. Like how has it been to expand your brand from running a shop to like, you know, running a yeah. a crazy huge business? So this will make you feel old, but that was almost 10 years ago. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, because I also I remember so like I'll take it back way back. First of all, I'm like the least likely candidate to do anything in beauty. 
And I feel like you could really attest to that because you came over to my house. I had no idea what Into the Gloss was. It was like, no, it's like, it's like a big deal. <laughs> it's like really cool. And it's a big deal and you should do it. And they're going to come to your house. I'm like, okay, what are, like, what are they going to do at my house? I, I just didn't know. And you guys showed up. And Nick, I will never forget, I had a baby at the time. So my baby must have been like one and a half. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, really young. And you were like, okay, we're here to like raid your bathroom. I was like, oh shit, they're really, they're going to like go through my bathroom and look at my stuff. My God, like what is in here? I really had no idea. And you guys went through and you were like, but where is your stuff? Because it was, was like, like basically like a resin that you like would use to like <laughs> cleanse yourself. It was like it was uh, it was there were not like name brand. There were not labels. So you were like you were like what's your what's your cleanser? And like was what's like, your routine? That and I was like, there's like a bar of soap and some natural toothpaste and some some like shampoo from the grocery store. And you were like, girl, where's your stuff? <laughs> what do you do when you go out on a date? And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. I guess I don't really go on dates. And um, that will stick with me for a lifetime. And you were like, no, like, where's your mascara? Because I remember after that, I was like, maybe I, maybe I should work this out. God, like, I hate that I like made you. Maybe, maybe I should get some mascara. Shit, should I be thinking about this? So um, Nick really is the whole impetus for your journey into Sephora then. Nick, what you're saying. Nick really I, is I the impetus the for like for clean color cosmetics, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that was at the beginning of my journey and really at the beginning of this, in, it, what is now an industry that was very much pre-well or like right maybe when the wellness industry was becoming something. And let's put it into perspective. At that time, almost 10 years ago, Califia almond milk didn't exist most people didn't know what almond milk was. You certainly couldn't roll up to a coffee shop and like expect with great privilege that not only are they going to have almond milk, but coconut and oat. Um, there wasn't such a, like there wasn't clean mascara. There wasn't clean beauty. Hence you finding me with like a resin, <laughs> a loofah. Yeah. <laughs> So now, Nick, I feel like we should now have the reunion. Yeah. You could come over to my bathroom and I just, I have like boxes and bags full of stuff. That makes me uh, happy. So much, like there's so much clean mascara going on. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't wear it all the time. And I'm now happily married with a baby and a child. And so unfortunately there's not really a date night. Fortunately, there's a lot of sex. And sex does. And you know, that that keeps it flowing. Yeah. But not a lot of dates to wear mascara to. But there's a lot of mascara. If that was sort of the beginning of your like dabbling in, you know, capital B beauty kind of thing, how did this idea of developing a skincare line come about? Yeah. Basically, that's my professional experience, Nick, of the last (laughs) decade. You found me. I had a resin and come back because I've got 10 mascaras. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's been, you know, just like pretty much anything at Moon Juice, it is a very organic experience. And I can remember the beauty editors just really naturally loving Moon Juice and being attracted and like understanding that there must be this wave that's coming of beauty from within and clean beauty and 
blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like all the plethora of marketing terms we could insert. All of that was coming. And so they spoke to me a lot. And they were all really wonderful people. And I just thought like, whatever, okay, we're talking about sex dust and green juice and and like coconut yogurt. And then they've got this job and they're doing all of this other stuff over here. Honestly, I didn't really believe in skincare. What do you mean? I just didn't believe it worked. I think two things were happening for me at that point. One was I genuinely didn't believe in it. Much like I think... People that are skeptical of supplements don't believe in supplements. I felt that way about skincare. I really believed in supplements and diet and lifestyle. So that was happening for me. And then I think that, you know, there was the like teenage feminist in me that really didn't like the beauty industry and was really put off by Seventeen magazine and like a Cosmo and like do a cat eye and like give a great blow. I mean, like all of that, you know, and the, all the makeup ads, it just wasn't me. And you felt like if you were going to develop that stuff, you'd sort of be buying into like that whole. Yeah, I just didn't care. Yeah. It was like, ugh, what is this stuff? It's for women who I am not. I was like, I would much rather go to a museum by myself and think beautiful things. That's beauty to me. I think I was really stuck in that as part of my identity, rebelling against that. Certainly LA, like beauty in New York is one thing. Beauty in LA is just, it's a whole other thing. Beauty today is a whole other thing. Yeah. I also remember, I remember like probably like one of the first people you sort of told this story to, but like your mom being this sort of red lipstick wearing fashion exec CEO of Betsy Johnson in New York, high heels, like that whole thing. And here you were in Venice with like fake fur poofs and mushroom coffee and all this stuff. And you were like sort of the antithesis of like a certain kind of glamazon New York power Mm -hmm. exec kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But, you know, I was really banking on what I was riding the wave of was youth and health. And so when you put youth and health together... It's radiant skin, it's healthy hair. I mean, you don't need anything but a resin at that point. And then I got into my mid-30s and just like noticed some stuff happening. And I don't, you know, I wasn't really like fearful and panicked about it. But what it did start to trigger was wanting to care for my skin as an organ wanting to care for my hair as I would like my teeth or eyes. And as I began to experience these things, you know, it was like, it's just who I am. You know, something's happening. Let's, let's see what we can do to make it a little bit better and healthier. And we're all aging. And I think that's great because the alternative is dying. But what is the best way we can do it? You know, I'm like all about the biohacking. I'm all about getting into my hormones and my endocrine system and messing with, like, I take great joy. That's a sport for me. So it just seemed like I was getting in my own way of skin. And I, and I did really recognize that. And I was like, all right, there's a bunch of parts of myself that need to get an upgrade. I need to look at it. I need to be open to changing that. And I was at a point in my life, you know, in my mid thirties where it was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get married. 
And that's something that I, you know, I do not want to fuck up and I really want to be open to that. And the person that I had to become, I think to even attract my husband was different than the girl who was going to like go down with a resin alone, neglecting her skin because she wasn't that type of woman, <laughs> you know, like it was, it was time. When you finally did get into the beauty industry, was it as scary as you thought it was going to be? No, because, you know, I had my own personal experience first. So I went I went straight out to all my beauty editor friends and I was like, all right, fuck it. I want to do something about my skin. It's happening. I'm down. Like, I'm just going to try it out. Let's just see what happens. What is the one thing that actually works? And so many people told me about P50. I was like, all right, let's do it. And within three weeks, I was like, oh my God, there's actually a difference in my skin. I can actually see it retextured. I can see where fine lines went away. And most dramatically, I can see that it just, it like dramatically, it it dramatically shrunk my pores. Um, So I was into it and I realized I couldn't have this product. And I was using the one that was illegal in France. The 1970. Yeah. Yeah. And I was all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Give me that phenol. (laughs) So I I never finished the bottle. I probably went halfway through and I was like, this is so good. We need to find a chemist. Like someone get me a chemist because I need to see if there's a way to make this happen in a way that I can use this for the rest of my life. So I wound up working with a chemist who by no means is about clean beauty, but I figured that's what I could be there for. And I didn't even know if it was possible. I just thought, let's, let's talk to this guy. So we really, he spoke my language. We could like nerd out on clinicals and ingredients and get in the kitchen and I could get in the lab with him. And we were talking about that formula and it was really just going to be, you know, potentially that if we ever made it. And I was simultaneously playing around at home with tocotrienols and I had just... What are tocotrienols? It's like a derivative of rice bran, but it is the amino acids, basically, that synthesize collagen in your body. And they're really yummy. So you can put them into a tonic, you can put them in coffee and they blend right in and they're great. I'll send you some actually, because it's, it's my favorite thing. So I was playing with those. As a topical, you're, you were playing with them or? Oh no, putting them in, in coffee and tonics. Okay. Yeah. So as an ingestible. And I, I had been stuck in this Shanghai airport for like three days. I kid you not. And wandering around the airport, and these women were drinking this silver-eared mushroom. It was like a clear, viscous broth with sugar in it. I was like, what's everybody getting in? I mean, I was there for three days, so I could really talk about it and delve in. But it was this beauty soup that, you know, is a ritual. And I thought, oh, my God. That they served at the airport? Yes. Where do you get the beauty soup at the Shanghai airport? In the, in the lounge. Okay. With the like massage chairs that also would squeeze you to get your lymphatic fluids going. It was like me and a bunch of businessmen and my new husband. We're on our honeymoon. But like I was having good old time in the Shanghai airport with the lymph squeezers and the beauty soup. 
So I thought, gosh, like, wouldn't it be great if I came home and had these silver-eared mushrooms and could just start like concocting these beauty soups and bring some in a thermos to work? And I was like, oh, it's just never going to happen. But what a great, I'm, I'm not a vegan, but you know, when possible, if there's an alternative to cowhide or fish scales in your cup every day, like I'm, I'm looking for that. So I wound up actually finding these dried powdered versions of the silver-eared mushrooms and really dug into some of the clinicals on them and saw that not only could you use it internally, you could use it externally. And so I, the chemist that I was working on this clean P50 version, which, you know, was like over a year in formulation. So we really were relating to one another and he's cool. He was into making smoothies and putting cordyceps in his smoothies and like working out. We could talk all that stuff. And so as I was at home formulating, I had the tocos, I had the silver eared mushroom. He helped me find an incredible hyaluronic acid from Japan. So I wound up putting that in and creating this like vegan collagen supplement, which actually it protects your own collagen. And then it gives your body the stuff that it needs to properly synthesize your own. So I was working on that. I was like, wow, these three simple ingredients, they all have clinicals for topical usage as well. Do you think we could put these three guys into a formula as like a serum, but not put any fillers, not put any gut, like just not all the stuff. And can we just do really clinical active levels of these? So I was like, yeah, that would be really easy. And it's never really easy, as you know, when you're formulating. It's like one year, one and a half years later. So I really, at that point, I just started with um, Clean P50, which is now the acid potion, which we got to the place it needed to go, which is, it worked. It was clean. It worked on me. I could use it for the rest of my life. I could use it while I was pregnant. No problems. And that's been out there for a couple of years now. And I have to say that when I read reviews of people on Sephora and they are not clean beauty people whatsoever. They're just beauty junkies and they want something that works. When I read, Hey, I used P50 and I switched over to this because I don't get the ruddiness and the micro inflammation in my skin. I feel like you did it then. Like that, that's like, those are nice to read. I know that, I mean, from our experience with necessary trying to formulate to this like clean standard, which we defined as, some of the biggest retailers, like their no lists, we kind mm-hmm. of assembled them all, looked at the ingredients that were which ingredients we were not okay with and came up with our own list. But what it came down to and what I learned in sort of creating a clean beauty brand was that the preservative systems are usually where you can kind of lose yourself as a clean brand because you want to keep the consumer safe. So you want to keep the bad bacteria and fungi out of these products that live in a bathroom, which is moist and humid and warm and like great for growing things that are not good for you. But you also like don't want to, you know, have to use these things that people consider to be dirty ingredients, right? So how did you approach preservatives? Well, we wound up going with honeysuckle. Mm -hmm which I felt good about. And I've also heard some people speak out against in doing the research. I felt comfortable with it. You know, it's an interesting thing when you are, and I'm really finding this with beauty products specifically or with skincare. 
I think that there have been some really big brands that have come onto the scene and formulated in a particular way. And we're very outspoken very early about certain ingredients being a no. And for the most part, I agree with all of that. But there there are some of those idiosyncrasies of some people not liking the honeysuckle. I felt that it was fine. I've heard, you know, some people saying that you should never use glycerin in skincare. Why are people saying no to glycerin? It's a thought that like eventually it will dehydrate your skin. Hmm. Yeah. And that it like draws water. At, so... There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot I mean, like, of yeah, yeah. out I mean, there. I, I know I can probably guess the brand you were talking about that was screaming from the rooftops about the evils of essential oils. Yeah. And I remember reading a, like, a post from one of the educators from this brand, and it said something like, well, essential oils are from the leaves of plants and they're naturally supposed to be pesticides so that bugs don't eat the plants. And so you're basically just putting pesticides. And I was like, we like have lost track. <laughs> We've like lost the plot about like what is bad and what isn't bad. And, and what it obviously comes down to is like how sensitive your skin is. You might be sensitive to artificial fragrance, but not to an essential oil or like mm-hmm. where is the essential oil being sourced from? Like what is it? you know, distilled uh-huh. with. Yeah. You know, like the, the questions and the answers are obviously a lot more complicated than simply just being clean or not. And actually it makes me think of what we really wanted to know from you is, so this idea of like clean beauty, we to like, you know, we with necessary came out of the gate calling ourselves clean. Annie would probably say that I was an idiot for doing that because Andy's like against this clean marketing word. She feels like it doesn't have any meaning. It's bandied about by brands, yada, yada, yada. Is clean just marketing or does it mean something to you and to like consumers? I think both are happening. I think one is 100%. It's being used as marketing. I think that you can say something is clean where does it fall on the spectrum? Because it really is a spectrum. So then I think you need to consider the source. Is it the brand calling themselves clean? Do you know how to read a label? Do you know what you're looking for? Do you know what your version of clean is? That's complex and involved for most people. Unless you really you like have an autoimmune condition or you have special needs with your skin or there's truly, you know, a, a doctor you're working with and there's a list. I think that's a big ask. So I think that what we're seeing is people rely on their retailer. Yeah. Which I don't think is bad. No, I don't think so at all. When a mega power like Sephora comes in and creates some definition around this mm-hmm. like abstract word, like when they created the Clean at Sephora program, Mm -hmm. that was great because it it was this big company with vast resources that was able to like commit some thought and time and money to like figuring out like what is actually bad, what's not, what are we okay Mm -hmm. with, what are we not. Now we all have a standard we can kind of go towards. Not that they're perfect, but like it's also that list is always changing. The list is always changing and evolving. I would say that even with on that list... There's a spectrum. You know, you're going to have people that sit just at the list. You're going to have people that are going a lot deeper. Then there's, you know, levels of transparency that just come down between, like, you and your company. 
I've realized that there's a lot that you don't have to put on an inky, meaning yeah. what's on the box. And there's like a whole shady world of that. So you can play to, so to, to your point, Annie, yes, there is a lot of marketing action in there and you can play to just the tick list of clean at wherever you're shot clean at Sephora. And you can be including things that maybe aren't on that list yet that are questionable. You can be including things that you don't have to have full transparency around. You know, even some of the stuff that came up just in like the extraction methods around certain adaptogens that I wanted to put into the skincare. And in going into that process, what was involved in that process that wasn't required to show up on the label was like, eh, you know? So yes, we, we could get that plant in there that I know would do something nice on the skin. Certainly like plays to marketing appeal, including an exotic ingredient, but I know behind the scenes what's happening. As far as like the actual, the process of, ma- of manufacturing that ingredient is like harmful to the planet or it ends up with like a weird byproduct in the no, there, there's there's a chemical that I wasn't comfortable with used in that process, so that it didn't it didn't actually show up on the inky. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have to put it there, but I know that there are remnants of it there. When you launch skincare, I mean, I know from friends who've worked with Sephora and from some experience, though not a ton, that like you as a brand founder like are one of the biggest assets to your brand from the perspective of Sephora because they'll want you to do videos and in-store appearances when people were doing in-store appearances things like that how did you find all that was that natural to be able to sort of be out in front and doing meet and greets and public appearances and videos and all that sort of stuff I was a little nervous about it to be honest in the beginning and then I actually, I found myself becoming re-inspired by hopping into that community. I mean, full transparency, it wasn't a Sephora customer to start with. It's like deep beauty and I'm freaky health and like freaky health and deep beauty. There just, there wasn't that, that rainbow bridge did not exist yet. So I was a little nervous about hopping in. And then I started getting in store and traveling around the country. And I found actually the teams there, like, is so liberating being there. I found that the, the teams on the floor were extremely diverse. I was not just speaking. And, and I think that wellness is not very diverse at all. And so... Like, it just felt like, you know, within the wellness world that felt so small and it just started to feel like like a cheerleader demographic had become wellness. And I'm kind of weird. I've always been like a little bit of a black sheep. And so wellness became so like popular and normal and cheerful and blonde. And that felt overwhelming, you know? Um And Sephora is like just opening up the brand to a lot more people because of just the footprint of the stores and the brand. It's many more people and it's men and it's women and it's younger people and it's older people. And it's, you know, men that were like giving me tips on what to do with my eyebrows and my eyelashes. And like, it felt like the freest place in America, honestly. 
Like everybody was just there because they loved beauty and they genuinely love it. That was nice to hop into like at least an offbeat, if you will, group of people. Like, you know, there was not one look and size and speak to everyone, which was refreshing. And then I started to get in and talk about wellness. And I found that people all over the country were having really profound experiences. And, you know, they would be Googling stuff late at night and having their own experience with cancer or their own experience with like extreme endocrine issues where they're, you know, like lifting up bangs and showing me a giant scar where they got their pituitary gland removed. I mean, like real, real stuff happening out there, whether it was a parent that they were living with at home, their own experience, a child, a partner. And so I felt invigorated and inspired to actually be out in America talking to people. It's less like just preaching to the choir of like the West side of LA kind of. Yeah. Because I honestly felt like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you know, or like New York and LA at this point. Yep. It just started to feel like at a certain point, like this conversation seems to have arms and 10 legs and like moving at a great speed. Do I need to be here anymore? Maybe somebody else could, ju- I don't know. It just seems like I was at that place. And I think, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, as you know, I'm sure there are peaks and valleys in your career of like feeling really motivated and on fire to does anyone need me to do this? Is this necessary? Um, And so I was feeling that way. And I think the wellness industry was like really changing and, and going in a certain direction. And it was through that work that I did feel like, okay, I'm reinvigorated. There's some work to do here. Do you still have your um, original like juice location or is that not part of the business anymore? No, they're all there. Yeah, I was yeah. there this morning. And when you talk about kind of the wellness industry shifting, I mean, one thing that comes to mind immediately for me is like the juice craze and how it got like kind of like I, I went to school in Austin and I remember like the super like granola hippie like juice stands that were like very independent and I think probably closer to how you started and then it got like commoditized into, you know, the juice cleanse diets. And it became this idea of wellness through juicing in particular started to appeal to probably like this other demographic that you're talking about that started coming into wellness through that. Anyway, so it's just interesting to hear from somebody that saw that evolution. One of our questions that we wanted to talk with you about is like your relationship with food now. I, you know, I, I, have had health issues my whole life. So as a child, I was on a very strict diet, no sugar, no wheat, no dairy. And that really helped me with, it was a uh, respiratory health. So that was something I grew up with. And then, you know, in my early twenties, I went off and was a cook and like chef and dove into the kitchen and really took that on um, as a career path and passion And so in that experience, all the food sensitivities and allergies went out the window. It's like, I'm just so passionate and I'm making pastries 24 seven and I'm working the line and I'm eating everything and tasting everything. And then I just like, I really felt like shit after a while. And I was drinking almost every night. Which in like the food industry, like in the restaurant industry is like 
you know, table stakes. Just, just normal. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't about partying. It was about being surrounded by like incredible raw cheeses and wine and it's an education. It's like a full lifestyle. So there was a lot of coffee, a lot of wine, a lot of sugar and wheat and just all of the things that I knew were not great for me, but I just thought like, ah, eh, so boring. Maybe that part of my life can be over. And a few years into that, I, I mean, I really felt it, really, really felt it. And just, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten to this place where you don't feel like you, your body doesn't belong to you anymore. Yes. In, it was about like body. three months ago, peak quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How'd you do it to yourself? Um, cookies. <laughs> Basically like what, a what sheet. Kind? <laughs> He started um, I, a, sub, I, yeah. a sub brand for himself. Called I started. The Anxiety Baker. I like was <laughs> basically channeling all my anxiety into baking, and I'm like I love cooking and I'm pretty good at it. And so I would like basically bake sheets of cookies daily and cakes and like key lime well, pies like some, and like some details on the cookies. Please, like we're talking like really good chocolate chip cookies, like brown butter cookies, key lime Ooh. pie, like a homemade funfetti. Like I was like trying to like hack the most like kind of gourmet way to like make these things that felt the least bad for you. But it turns out that like butter is butter is butter. <laughs> and then I spent the last three months trying to like reel it back in. But I, I understand the feeling of also just like the mind body connection and like feeling like shit and we're in quarantine and, you know, with at least working in restaurants, you're working crazy hours, you're exhausted yeah. and like you're the way you're sleeping. eating and the way you're eating is not at all helping no. any of that. No. So that, I mean, that like really took me way out there. When did you clean it up? Well, I had been really clean. Like it had been this kind of embarrassing, boring, torturous life because you're a kid and you're a teenager and like... You know, there was no wellness entry. Yeah, like that's not fun. That's not cool. Was it doctor recommended the diet or was it, did your mom like do like specific research and say like. It was an Ayurvedic doctor. Okay. So yeah, I like I, I got professional on passions for food and went out there. And it's also, it's really hard to accept. I think you're like butter is butter is butter. It's hard to accept because it's not like I was eating junk food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like it's hard, I'm, yeah. I'm having like really beautiful raw cheeses from these regions that I've studied. Like that must be okay for you. It must be different. It must be. Yeah. Yeah. And you always hear Europeans talk about how their food is, is better yeah. than our food anyway. Like, come on, I'm eating pasta every day, but like I've made this pasta right. by hand. Yeah. That's like, this is, Amanda, eggs. this is literally where my head was and the way I justified it is because you're like, if I'm making a, if it's, I'm not buying a cookie out of a box, out of a plastic sheath, you know, like yes. I'm making the cookie with like, yes. you know, like fucking flour I bought on Etsy. Yes. It yes. Must... And it's like hard winter yeah. wheat from an heirloom farm that yeah. like has been hand cracked and the eggs come are like Peter Shaner's eggs and they eat bugs and like uh, yes, that's I went I went to that place. Yeah. And I felt like, you know what? This is the life for me. This is gonna be great. This is like some real deal farm to table shit. And I'm going to be fine. And I was not fine, sadly. 
I still enjoy all of that stuff. I just can't do it day in and day out. The daily needs to be, you know, anti-inflammatory foods. That's the biggest thing for me, sadly. I, I love I love me some inflammatory foods. And you had multiple stores. You did a cookbook. And I think around that time, you did a food diary for Elle. And it was like both, it was sort of lauded and marveled at in the sort of specificity of ingredients and the talk about like transparency. It was like the old, I think in in a way you were like slapped for being super transparent about like where you got the thing, which is like the kind of detail with into the gloss we always wanted. It's like (sighs) not just almonds, like what kind of almonds, like where are they, Mm -hmm. you know, like where are they soaked? Are they like, what makes it a special almond? Like why are you eating this almond? Did you, is it all just research you did to know like what version of everything to eat and like how it was better than another version or in your head better for you than another version? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like you guys, I'm sure have the same mind when you're passionate about something like it doesn't stop at sugar, flour, eggs and butter. It's like, is it raw butter? Is it Irish butter? Like what makes this butter taste different? What makes the color of the egg yolks like that? I mean, that's just my personality. No, but that's like, it's interesting. It's like wellness is your baseball. Totally. (laughs) You know what I mean? Where you're like your fantasy football or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's like for Annie and I beauty and like talking about ingredients or products or eye cream or whatever. Like we talked to a guy named Clark Moore who has a podcast and we were talking about how vain, how deeply vain and superficial we can sound talking about like P50 and we or talk like about why it this a lot. texture of black goo for your eyelashes is far superior than like this specific one over here. And but it's yeah, a it hobby at the very, end of the day. Yeah. And it's something that like yeah. excites us and makes us feel curious and inspired and energized when we find something. It's like sharing a secret. Like there's all reasons why you can look at it as this like very one percenter and consumerist thing that we do. But like at the same time, it's something that's very authentically like interesting to us. Uh, yeah. And I think you could apply it anything if you were a vet you would just know all the things about like different needle sizes that you know hurt some pups and I just it's Mm. it's a mind and for me I mean I think it really it got stuck on to wellness because for much of my life I've been in a body that didn't feel like it was functioning optimally and a mind that was very much connected to that And so I was very uncomfortable in my body and often uncomfortable in my mind. And that turns into a full life experience. And my experience of reaching out for help was early on hearing from allopathic doctors that put me on tracks that just took me deeper and deeper into the muck and the mire. And I can retroactively go back and really understand my whole trajectory of like, I do remember the point in my life when things like radically went off track and that almost 20 years lived in that body and mind. And I can remember when I started to come back online, I can really make sense of it. And it's like, of course, you know, of course, here I was chronically ill in this way. And I can really think about some environmental situations of why it was like that. I think it was as simple as like, 
I have allergies, you know, I have allergies. Why do I have those allergies? I could go off on a whole tangent that I feel like the government would like potentially come and shut the podcast <laughs> down. I feel like you've been a like Nostradamus of like health and wellness trends. Like you were talking about activated before, like anyone was talking about something could be activated. You were talking about, you know, like co- all this sort of cosmic stuff and the ways in which now like there's probably like stuff at your local grocery store that has the words that you in a way sort of came up with in the vocabulary that you came up with. What is next? What are you seeing next as like the next waves of or the next sort of trends within health and wellness? A couple of things that I have just been curious about, like, well, when's that happening? Who's doing that? One, one is really men's health. And, and I know that there are, there's like, there's stuff, there's stuff out there. Dr. Will Cole, who's a friend, he's doing stuff. Masculinity is so much more fragile. So like when I even think about like, how do you do a men's thing? It's like, yes, there's the obvious bro thing you have to get past, whether it's like bro or whether it's gay or whether it's too jockey or, you know, I'm not probably using the right words. Bro to gay. It's a yeah. spectrum. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a spectrum. And it's like, how do you, and there's bro, gay bros and, you know, whatever. I feel like masculinity is too fragile to like have something that is universally accepted. Well, maybe, maybe that's part of what I feel like I'd love to see and what's needed. So I'm saying like men's, men's health stuff and an opening beyond biohacking and paleo. <clears throat> so like what what did we what is that yeah you mentioned biohacking earlier what what does that look like can you just give us a refresher <laughs> yeah it's um well there's, there's like the the coined kind of like super biohacky bro dude masculine bulletproof so like dave asprey would be the guy but then okay. i think you like know buttering your coffee yeah, but like mine just does its own version. I mean, really, it's just optimizing your system. So like the the girl way of saying that is optimize your system. And the guy optimize way is biohacking. System. Fucking biohacking. get your body to fucking, you know, respect you. Like make your body your bitch. Oh, I just thought of my new brand. Make your body your bitch. <laughs> yeah. Make your bitch your body. <laughs> so like here's an example of maybe some like biohacking is a super aggressive term. But like I started to notice I had my baby and then all of a sudden these gray hairs started to come in, in like at a very rapid clip. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm also giving myself permission to like, I don't know if you go half gray and it feels weird, like don't be so rigid that you won't let yourself dye your hair if you want to. So we'll see what happens with that. But it did start coming in at a rate that beyond just my ego and what I was turning into just the the health lady in me was like, no, this is happening too fast. This <laughs> like, turned I, on I need this to be like a bit more of a slow and steady graying yeah. versus like a, yeah. There, there should be a graceful pace. What, <laughs> what is this? And like, why is the skin above my knees? Like why? Like aging. Aging is a funny thing. You think you know what your experience of aging is going to be. And then you're like fixated on the skin above your knees and wondering like what happened to the elasticity that was that from t- like shorts too many years, no sunscreen ever. I'm, I don't know. It's and a, for you, a, it's like, I was taking all the mushrooms. Like I was taking all like, and I'm like, shit. what the fuck? Like <laughs> if you, if, if you it was can't the do unpasteurized it. <laughs> cheeses for the five years. 
Did you biohack it? Is that what I you biohacked it? I biohacked okay. it. So my way of biohacking was I did blood tests. I did some hormone panels. I did gut analysis. And I was like, what's off in my system? Because you know what? I just kept reading, speaking to specialists and reading research and articles around like, yeah, you may have some accelerated aging postpartum because of stress, because of sleeplessness. And I was like, yeah, I hear all of that, but no. I'm not going to just like generally dump it in that bucket. I know that my sleep is disrupted, but I'm on top of my stress chemistry. I know that I'm dealing with my cortisol. Like I should be able to lose some sleep and not age rapidly. Something's wrong. So I did find out that in fact, my glutathione levels were really low and I, and I would sometimes supplement with glutathione. And so I knew about it, had it in my medicine cabinet, and I would really use it for if I was starting to feel sick or exhausted or overrun. And when just diving, diving into it more deeply, I realized that glutathione is actually something that's needed for every cellular process in your body. And that glutathione will naturally diminish over time. And so it's actually part of the aging process is having less glutathione in your body, which is the master antioxidant. So I had a real sudden dip in glutathione and I didn't have those antioxidants there. And so I really saw changes in my skin very quickly and the hair. So that was like a great example of biohacking. So you take that, took that knowledge and I was like, okay, what can I do about this? I'm going to supplement with glutathione. And it may mean that I supplement with enough glutathione and I can run labs and my body can re-regulate. Or I may decide that if lowered levels of glutathione are what causes the aging process, I would like to supplement with glutathione every morning for the rest of my life. (laughs) So and, that, did it, that's, and did it make you feel better pretty quickly? It did. You or know, like, it's really, did, it, did you notice like fewer grays or? I, I did. I noticed two things. Um, one was that the, within like three weeks of taking it every morning, the gray hairs that were coming in so fast stopped. It plateaued. I don't know that it's going to get rid of the gray hairs. I've got a handful that I'm watching and they're kind of like they're getting longer and down to my chin now. And so I'll be so curious. Are they going to fall out and half of them come back brown? Because I've actually had this experience in my early 20s of just being so stressed out and unhealthy. And I had a gray streak coming in. I was like, what? And I go gray in my early 20s. And really, you know, it's like, cleansed my body, got on a regular sleeping schedule, really cleaned up my act, and that completely went away. So I actually, I've read that it's impossible for you to have gray hair and reverse it, but I've experienced otherwise. Interesting. This is a different story. I'm almost 40, so it's like age appropriate that that would be happening. We'll see what happens. So is glutathione the trend that we're like supposed to look out for? Is it more (laughs) like a a way of like uh, packaging biohacking. So it's more accessible to people who like maybe don't live in LA or New York where you can like find all these experts. I think that, yeah, biohacking, not having such an aggressive name and for people (laughs) to really feel that they have the power to make small shifts with supplementing, potentially with diet too, that really make a big difference. So I would say that let's find like a more user-friendly biohacking thing, men. And I really think 
So like this is kind of, you know, a deep end new age. There's all like the men's group and the men's work happening out there, which I think is great. And I've seen friends go through it and like really change, you know, but it's also heavily branded in like new age stuff. Wasn't that uh, what Keith Rainieri did? (laughs) (laughs) He was very interested in this idea of like creating a safe space for men. To be um, better men. To quote unquote be better. But uh, but you're right. I mean, he certainly didn't figure it out. And like no one's really figured out a way to make it non-threatening and accessible. You know, I see a lot of women's circles. I see a lot of modalities and therapies and support really handed out to women in a way that makes them feel special and comfortable and invited and worthy and inspired And I'm not seeing that for men yet. And I think that, you know, I've spent so much time thinking about the physical body and the wellness of the physical body. And with that comes the mind. They are one. But the spirit, I've really come to see and I'm seeing so many wonderful functional medicine doctors and Doctors that started off very much on a straight and narrow traditional allopathic path that have separated from that and have said, gosh, in my 20 years of treating people, I am now at the place where I can no longer treat your body as it is. And I can almost no longer just treat your mind and your body. We really need to get into your spirit, whatever you want spirit to be. You can go spiritual on it and talk about the soul, or you can get very scientific and you can talk about the metaphysical aspects of what we are and what consciousness is and what are we that is beyond the body. So there's no denying at this point that there is something beyond the flesh of the body that we are. And I really do believe that the next frontier is going to be treating that spirit first and that, yes, you can you can eat all the healthy foods you want. You can biohack your life away. But if there's unrest and trauma in your energetic body, it's just not going to get anywhere. Yeah. And I, and I really... Spirit hacking. Spirit hacking. Spirit hacking. <gasps> all right. It's everybody's favorite part of the show. Product of the week. Yay! You go first, Nick. I- My product of the week is LASIK. I got LASIK from a guy named Dr. Andrew Castor. I did not get a discount. This is not SpawnCon. He's in Beverly Hills, and he was recommended to me by a guy on Instagram who I somehow <laughs> trusted. And he had really good Yelp reviews and really good Google reviews. And so I let him blast lasers at my eyes on Tuesday and my eyes are really scratchy. They feel like I have like pieces of sand stuck in them. They're watering as I speak. However, it's pretty freaking incredible because I can see, I I went in yesterday for my, you know, 24 hour follow-up and I have over 20, 20 vision now. And I've worn contacts since I was 13 years old. And I was sort of thinking as I was preparing for having a baby and sleepless nights and getting up in the middle of the night that I like didn't want to deal with contacts and glasses. And I am super excited. My eyes 
are really in a lot of discomfort. And I would love if anyone has any experiences about how this discomfort went away, if they would DM us so that I can feel a little bit more confident that my eyes will return to normal. But LASIK is pretty amazing. It takes 30 seconds. How much was it? Well, here's the cool thing about this place. It was like $5,800, I want to say. $2,900 per eye, but they have a plan where you can pay 50% upfront and then installments for 12 months for the second 50%. So that felt a little bit more palatable to me. And I also felt like your eyes are not something you really want to get. It's like sushi. You know what I mean? Like you don't really want a discount on it. Did I ever tell you about the screenplay I wrote? No. About the girl that gets LASIK from Groupon? (laughs) No. It's a horror movie. Oh, God. Yeah. So that's why it's called peripheral. Anyway, I'll tell you some other time. I don't want to hear about that right now. I feel okay. My eyes are really scratchy, but I've heard that's normal. I think I had like a probably medium prescription. So I think, you know, people who have a really light prescription don't have as bad of a after experience. But scratches are a little less deep. They're yeah, they're a little less deep, but I've got my comfort drops and I've got my eye drops. And you know what? I'm going to make it. I'm going to pull through. I think you're going to be okay, Nick. I hope. What's your product of the week? My product of the week is something I've been waiting months for. I ordered it back in April. And then I think that they got the internet death hug from Beyonce mentioning them. Remember when Beyonce did the Black Owned Businesses mm-hmm. initiative and basically like posted links to like her favorite Black Owned Businesses and they they all like immediately like sold out of all their inventory. Anyway, this is a razor. You know I love to talk about hair removal. And from a brand called We the People, we spelled like the French word for yes, O-U-I. And it is a single blade razor with replaceable blades. And you keep, do you see it? Yeah, it's chic. You keep every part of the razor but the little blade that's just like a very thin sheet of, yeah, so it's sustainable, which I love. So the idea is that it's just like a, it's not a disposable razor. It's a, and you, all you just, you need is blades. Blades. And it's so heavy, which is incredible. I love it. It's so heavy. Is that good when you're shaving? Yeah, because then it's like, you don't have to put any pressure on. You just kind of let gravity do its thing. Got it. And I was dying laughing. I was going to send you a photo because the first time I used it, I think I had some like lingering ingrowns that I hadn't taken care of and I got out of the shower and there was just like blood everywhere dripping oh, down. Oh god. Because <laughs> it's from so this, sharp. From this razor? It's so sharp. Um but yeah you you get used to it. Um and <laughs> it was really funny though. I really wish I took a photo. One time I this reminds me of a story. I was dancing in the shower to the Whitney Houston song Million Dollar Bill and <laughs> This was when I lived in New York in like a fifth floor walk up on the Bowery and I slipped in the shower and I caught myself and I was like, I almost died dancing to Whitney Houston. Someone would find me like three days later, four days later, like I need, I should not dance in the shower anymore. No, I don't, I've never heard of people dancing in the shower, but. Well, I was, I mean, when the spirit moves you. Anyway, so you, you would say it's sharp, so use with caution, but you like it. Look, use with reckless abandon. I'm not going to tell you how to remove your hair. That's like a personal choice. I do like it. How much is it? It is $75. So it ain't cheap. But I think the idea is the refills are only $11 and you get 10 in a little box of blades. 
which, by the way, the razor comes with. So you're getting basically 10 razors in one for $75. And then the refills are only 11, again, for another 10 razors. So financially, and there's no it's a plastic. Great thing. No plastic. I will say, I do think it's funny that some of these brands that are all about, you know, they message sustainability a ton for certain products on their packaging for these products or and other products within their line. They're like kind of the opposite of sustainable, which whatever. I get it. It's like always a, a give and take. Like you're a luxury brand, so you want great. But packaging. this is not We the People. We the People's hydrating body gloss is packaged in Italian glass, a recyclable cap, and recyclable outer packaging. I also, I also got their shave. So they also have a PHA ingrown, ingrown relief toner that you should probably investigate. They actually sent me that. I think that they sent all the people that had ordered like at the beginning part of the year this free product because as like a thank you for waiting. That's nice. I've been using it. It has witch hazel in it, which yeah. I don't care like about but a lot of people seem to have an issue with so far so good i like it again i love how heavy it is i love heavy things don't you yeah it makes it it like signals luxury it's like the la mer jar thing it's just like milk glass it's not a fancy jar but something about the weight of it makes you feel like ooh, this is like something that's nice definitely and with that let's end this week's episode of eyewitness beauty hopefully also after the election there'll be so many launches and so much news because brands will stop waiting and start giving us newness. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty or you can write to us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abronowitz and our theme music is by Danny Prezant. And research is provided by our friend Alicia Bansall. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode. So we'll talk to you then. Good, good night, night. And good luck. That's what I was going to oh say. Oh my God. Uh,